Welcome to another podcast by Dr. Dennis Smith, Senior Pastor of Covenant Life Ministries. To find out more, go to lifeandfocustv.com. God helps those who help themselves. Now, it's interesting that it, this is one of the many sayings that people believe is in the Bible, but actually they're not. It's amazing how many people will quote this just that way. The Bible says God helps those who help themselves. In a recent survey by the Barna Group, they found almost 80% of respondents believe that God helps those who help themselves in the Bible. 53% said they thought it was an extremely important teaching in the Bible. And get this, there are those who believe that God helps those who help themselves is one of the Ten Commandments. You know, there was a test, uh, eight out of ten professing Christians were asked about was, uh, did, did, could you find God helps those who help themselves? Is that in the Bible? Interesting that out of those, eight out of ten of them believed that it is in the Bible. Three Baptists, two Roman Catholics, one Methodist, and one denominational, uh, interdenominational. All said, yes, absolutely, it's in the Bible. Misconceptions, lies, half-truths have snuck into the Christian faith and theology and into the church today. Christian cliches and things that we just say and assume that that's what God says and that's what the Bible says. Now our focus during these, this series is not to focus on what God didn't say, but when we look at these things to turn it around and say, but here's what God really says. Because it's important that we know the truth because we know the Bible tells us quite clearly in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is inspired or God-breathed and is given to us. It's to profit us. Uh, for, it's to profit us for reproof, for teaching, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And then the Bible talks also in 2 Corinthians 2.15 that it's important for you to, to study, show yourself approved, and that you rightly divide, that you correctly teach the Word of God. That's so very important that we know that. So, if God helps those who help themselves is not in the Bible, then where did it come from? Well, it's actually attributed to uh, Benjamin Franklin and his Poor Richard's Almanac in uh, 1657. Uh, and he adopted that statement of God helps those who help themselves actually from an old Aesop's fable about Hercules and the wagoneer. The wagoneer was pulling along and he gets bogged down in the mud and he cries out to Hercules for help. And here's what Hercules responds according to this Aesop's fable. And he says, get up and put your shoulder to the wheel. The gods help them that help themselves. And Franklin just adopted that in uh, the 1700s and said, God helps those who help themselves. So we're going to Take a quick look at that this morning and learn some valuable things about, about help and about what God does and what we're to do. And the first part I want us to look at is the fact that uh, some people feel that uh, it's all about them, that I can help myself. 
And number one is that pride will deceive and destroy you if you let it. Pride deceives and destroys. Independent, self-sufficient, self-righteous. I don't need God's help. Let's go to a familiar passage of Scripture found in the Gospel of Luke and, uh, and discover something. I think discover something very important here. Luke chapter 18, we're going to look at verses 9 through 14. I'm beginning with uh, verse 9. Then Jesus told this story or parable to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness that trusted themselves and despised others. Verse 10, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. Now let's look, two, two men. Now it seems from this, this parable, this story that Jesus is talking about two specific men. It's like he's telling a story and he says, there's the Pharisee and there's the publican. He's not talking about groups. He's talking about individuals here. One man who went was a Pharisee. Now, what is a Pharisee? Literally, Pharisee means separated ones. They were supposedly in the religious world the good guys, the guys that wore the white hat. They're the ones who followed the rules, God's rules, their laws. They believed very strongly that, that to observe the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. They were respected and revered as religious leaders and holy men of that day. But then look at the tax collector. Jesus says one of them was a tax collector. A tax collector was considered one of the lowlifes of society of that day. They, they, would, they would put them together with tax collectors, murderers, and prostitutes. Same category. They were hated. They were despised. These were the bad guys, the guys that wore the black hats. They worked for the Roman government, the enemy, and they, uh, they would get these uh, tax franchises where they could collect any amount they wanted to and the government would bill a certain amount and they could keep whatever they could get above that. So there's a great deal of corruption and extortion in that. Interesting that tax collectors were not allowed, they were not allowed to give testimony in court because their word was considered worthless. It's a tax collector. And if someone accidentally touched a tax collector, what were they supposed to do? Uh, instantly they were to spit. So instantly they spit. As soon as they can, they go to their home, they burn their clothes, and they take a scalding bath. Tax collectors were despised, hated. This was one of the men said was standing, a Pharisee here praying and a tax collector here praying. Look at their prayers, verses 11 through 13. The Pharisee starts out, and notice his prayer is all about himself. He's actually praying about himself to himself, essentially. It's all about me. Verse 11 says, the Pharisee stood by himself, and that's kind of a picture of that's ostentatious, that he stands where he can be seen in view, arrogant. And he prayed a prayer. New King James Version says, he prayed thus with himself. Doesn't say he prayed to God. He prayed thus with himself. Now, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, he says, the Pharisees love to stand and pray in the synagogues and street corners so that they can be seen by others. That's how the Pharisee prayed. And here's what he prayed. He said, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, the cheaters and sinners and adulterers. And I'm certainly not, it's interesting, he points this out in this way, and I'm certainly not like that tax collector. Here's a man who supposedly is approaching God 
but it's all about the fact that he's helped himself. It's all about what he has done. And he says, I'm not like that. Isn't that what normally happens with self-righteous people, religious people? They begin to, uh, they, they have these certain things they've done and uh, they believe that this merits them. Uh, in a, it gets them to a place of in right standing with God. I've earned my place. Look at what I have done. Look at how I've helped myself. Look at me. It's all about me. And when you do that, automatically, what's the next thing? You're going to look down upon all those that are around you because you're the best. You're the best. No one can measure up to you. And that's what pride does. It puts you in that place and it's very dangerous, very dangerous place to be looking down on others. Proverbs 20, Proverbs 30 verse 12 says, There are those who are clean in their own eyes, but they are not, but they are not washed from their filth. That's what the Pharisee was about. C.S. Lewis said, A proud man's always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you can't see above you. This Pharisee gives no honor to God. He makes no, you notice in the press, he makes no request. He asks God for nothing. He doesn't think he needs anything. He doesn't make one single request of prayer. He says, I thank you, God, that I'm not like that other person. The old, years ago, the old Mac Davis song, part of the words were, Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror because I get better looking each day. <laughs> look at me. Look at me. And then, the contrast of the publican. It, it begins, not Republican, but publican. Begins in verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance. Not, not out where people could see him. Not in an arrogant, but he stood at a distance. I think that's probably how he felt in, in approaching God. How in the world could he consider himself worthy in any way to approach God? He stood at a distance. I'm sure there was shame. There was guilt there. And he dared not even to lift his eyes to heaven. And he prayed. He prayed afar off and he bowed his head, guilt and shame. And he cried out for mercy. So this was not all about look at me. It was God, look at me. I need your mercy. He beat his chest in sorrow. He said, oh God, be merciful to me. You know, that's the way it is when you receive from God. Salvation, anything else, is personal with God. It's not about a group text with God. It's about when you pray, it's you and him. He beat his chest in sorrow saying, Oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. I'm a sinner. You know the word merciful there literally means to be propitiated towards. That's a big word, fancy word, but it's a, it's a theological term. And the word propitiated actually means satisfied. Satisfied. And in the Old Testament you had the Ark of the Covenant, the container there, uh, the Ark of the Covenant contained the laws and a few other things, you know, were in their Ten Commandments. And over it was the cover that was called the mercy seat. And once a year on the Day of Atonement, a lamb or goat was, was killed and blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat. And that is the picture of the fact that Jesus is our propitiation and by His blood we are atoned, or better than that, we are forgiven. So it's a beautiful picture found in the Scripture of when, when He said that 
God be merciful to me. He says, be my propitiation. Forgive me of my sins. Jesus is our propitiation for our sins. And 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 actually says that. Then in verse 14, it says, I tell, this is what Jesus, then Jesus returns after saying, here's the, here's the Pharisee, here's the public, here, Jesus does this, verse 14. And remember, he's teaching, he's talking to people around him. He says, I tell you this. You know, sometimes when Jesus said something, it was a shocker. It was like sometimes things that he told and taught, it was just really, well, that'll get your attention type thing. So Jesus said, now think about it too. Think about this too. That if you were brought up in that environment, in that society, the, the conviction of most people was the man that's closest to God is this man over here who's standing and who's praying and who, who, is, who has who stood in righteousness and does all these wonderful things, who helps himself. And this man over here, he doesn't have a hope. He doesn't have a chance. He is a despised tax collector beyond help. He can't help himself. He's beyond help. And so that's what the people were thinking in a religious crowd. Oh, sure. The, most, the one closest to God has to be the Pharisee. But Jesus says, I tell you that this sinner, the publican, that this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified. In other words, the word justified means acquitted of your charges. You're not guilty anymore and you're made righteous with God. Be very, very, very careful. And, and, and there are some people who are missing out on the, the mercy and the grace, the wonderful work of salvation in their lives because they feel like that they could do it themselves. I'll just help myself. Look at me. People in church today, maybe who don't stand like this Pharisee, but people who attend church regularly, they're always talking about, well, I go to church. They don't. Kind of looking down on folks, always comparing themselves with others. It's good to be a part of a worship. Uh, family. It's good to participate. I think we all should. But the tendency is that you can step over from being a faithful, committed Christian into the realm of just being religious and look at me. I'm helping myself. This is what I've done. And then you immediately begin to look around to see if everyone's measuring up to you. The danger of pride. The danger of pride. Uh, I think we see that quite clearly. The second thing I'm just going to look at three things this morning. The second thing is, out of all this picture of God helps those who help themselves, here's an here's, here's important thing to remember, is that God does bless faithfulness. God does bless your work. It's okay to help yourself. There are certain things you can do. Uh, let's, let's, let me get to this, and I think this is important. Um, there are times to take responsibility to do certain things in your life. You could have surgery, but in order to recover from certain types of surgery, you help yourself. Now remember, God helps us at all times. He gives us the ability to do these things. We, that's a, but therapy and exercise and these things are a way that you help yourself. And as you do that, God continues to help you. So in that sense, God helps those who help themselves. Because you do have a sense in which you take responsibility. It's important. We're not to come in the afternoon. Maybe you've been busy out. The wife, husband, busy. And they've been out work. And they come in at home. You sit down at the table. And there's an empty plate before you. And you just sit there and say, thank you, God, for this wonderful meal. Now, I don't know where your faith is right now. 
But mine's not to the point to where I could do that and open my eyes and expect this, 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 this wonderful meal before me. Just magically, God's just going to drop it into my life. You know that a lot of people kind of get to feel that way about something. You know, just magically. I'm just going to look to God. It's just all about Him. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to do anything. Just God, you do it. And they just wait. They just wait. There's an irresponsibility in some people who believe that, well, I'll just, God's going to do it. I don't, I don't have to be concerned about it at all. Uh, you know, there are times you need to get out the pots and pans and cook. But remember, God is the creator who created the earth, had the soil, the ability for plants to grow, the strength to be able to harvest, the produce that's provided for you, the ability to prepare it and cook it. So he is the one who actually does it all anyway. But we have our role and our part to play. So very important. But look at one of the misconceptions. And let's, let's, look, at what this, let's look at what the Scripture is saying and what it isn't here. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34. Matthew chapter 6, beginning verse 25. You'll, you'll, you'll be familiar with this one, I know. Jesus said, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet their heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? I mean, they don't do anything. God takes care of them. Aren't you more valuable than them? So you can see how this sense of, of irresponsibility people could could be misled there. Verse 28, so why do you worry about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today, here today and thrown into the oven uh, tomorrow, then will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles, and we could say the unbelievers, seek. For your heavenly Father knows that, your need, that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things sufficient for the day, its troubles. And the misconception would be, hey, look, you know, if, if God feeds the birds and you're more valuable than birds, if God clothes the lilies and you're more valuable than they are, then hey, no need for me to do anything. It's a, a very strange misconception. People go, oh, I'm, just, I'm just waiting on the Lord. There are times to wait on the Lord. And there are times when you can seek God. There might be some things you could do. In fact, the problem is sometimes we're seeking the Lord and we then try to figure out what we can do to help Him. Right? Well, this is not happening as fast as I want to. Let me see how I can help you. There are times just to wait on the Lord. Amen? Lord, I just seek you. I'm not trying to make this happen myself. I'm not going to try to scheme. I'm not going to try to work it out myself. I'm going to trust you. You are my provision and it's going to be supernatural. Or the Lord may work through someone else as your source. But this verse does not teach irresponsibility. When it says take no thought for tomorrow, it's not saying that it, it, some people think that that's saying that you shouldn't plan. 
But that contradicts other scriptures where Jesus teaches the importance of counting the cost and planning ahead, right? So, Scripture, uh, has, uh, uh, scripture does not contradict Scripture when, you, when rightfully understood. So, we know the Bible teaches personal responsibility, but it teaches that God is our source. It's important to always, uh, uh, always understand that. Now, uh, they were having a problem in the church back in Paul's day uh, in, a, in Thessalonica. And let's look at that right quick, and then we're going to begin bringing things to a close. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, uh, beginning with verse 6. Now, here's what's happened. Let me, let, me kind of, uh, let me kind of prepare us for this as we lead in, into these verses. Is Paul and others had come in, and they'd proclaimed the gospel that we're saved by grace through faith, and that we're here awaiting the return of the Lord. One of the primary messages of those days was the imminent return of Christ. In fact, many of those that were alive that day really felt that their generation would not pass away. They certainly could not fathom the idea that 2,000 years would go by and Jesus still had not returned. It was like, you come to Christ, I know Christ is Savior now, I'm just waiting. Now, that's, that's a good, it's good to sit anticipating the coming Lord, isn't it? Okay. But they were just saying, just anticipating. The problem is, is that while they were anticipating and waiting for Him, they just did nothing. It's like the people who get on their, you know, put on their white robe and go up on top of the mountain and wait for the coming of the Lord. They either had to come down off that mountain or they died up there because He hasn't come yet. You don't just unplug from the world. You don't just say, okay, now I'm just going to be. And they were facing this problem. Now, so look at this. I think we'll get some things out of this. Paul said, and now, dear brothers and sisters, we give you this command. Now, this is pretty strong. This is, he said, in church, this is what you need to do. Okay, we give you this command in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Stay away from all believers who live idle lives and don't follow the tradition they receive from us. That seems rather snobbish and judgmental, doesn't it? You know, there's value. There's value in separating from certain situations and relationships. It's not to hurt those people, but it's to help you and it's to clarify the difference between truth and lie, between right and wrong, and hopefully for those people to recognize that. So it's amazing when he says, now look, you don't need to be hanging out with those people that are just standing around and idle and doing nothing. See, they had fallen in the trap and say, Jesus is coming, don't need to do anything. It's all right. No big deal. And so they were idle. They st- and he says, stay away from them. Don't follow, the, don't follow their tradition. Follow what you've received from us. Verse 7, for you know that you ought to imitate us. Now that's a strong statement. You better be living in a way that's pleasing to the Lord if you're going to be bold enough to say, live like me. But Paul was. He did. We were not idle when we were with you. He said, look at us. Look at our example. We weren't idle when we were with you. We never accepted food from anyone without paying for it. We worked hard day and night so that we would not be a burden to any one of you. To be the right kind of example with the gospel, that you can't pay for the gospel and that uh, they're not in it just for the money. Verse 9, we certainly had the right to ask you to feed us because they were providing spiritual food. But we wanted to give you an example to follow. Verse 10, even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Remember that verse, don't you? He who does not work does not eat. Now, <clears throat> you 
You know, there are some people today who are unwilling to work who eat. I'll just move on from that. But <laughs> willing and able to work and don't work and still eat. I'd have to say that's somewhat unscriptural. But anyway, the mercy, the goodness of God, and we bless, you know, that, that's fine. Maybe they'll learn better and walk out of this. Yet, we hear that some of you are living idle lives, see? He says, who, there's people around you that they're not working. They're not taking responsibility. They're not helping themselves. They're just waiting on someone to serve them. Or they're waiting on the return of the Lord. And they're busybodies. They're just trying to run everybody else's business. And they're not working. I'm telling you, these people, they shouldn't eat. He says in verse 12, we command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what he says. We command such people. He's talking to those people who are like that. He says, we command such people, urge them in the name of the Lord, settle down, work to earn your own living. As for the rest of you, my dear brothers and sisters, never get tired of doing good. Just a good practical work. These folks are over here dilly-dallying around and lazy and won't work and got this crazy idea that I don't have any responsibility. I don't need to help myself. There's not, I don't have a responsibility here. And he's saying, look, settle down and go to work. There are things for you to do. And there's others that you can bless if you'll do those. And he just points it out, says, look, it's good to work hard. It's good to be responsible. It's, it's important, folks. But here's a, here's a bottom line statement today. Yes, it's important to do certain things to help ourselves. And when we do that, God will bless our faithfulness and, and multiply in our lives. Absolutely. But bottom line is all our help really comes from the Lord. All our help comes from the Lord. And, and so that brings us to the final point is, is that God helps those who cannot help themselves. Aren't you glad? God helps those who cannot help themselves. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, and I, I won't go into a lot of detail here, but I think this pretty well tells us what we need to know. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, and then verse 8 and 9. <clears throat> Paul says, God, who is rich in mercy, he's loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, in other words, couldn't help yourself, right? Beyond help. Even though we were dead in our sins, he gave, he, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you have been saved, raised up together, made to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 8. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good works or for helping yourself making yourself better. Salvation is a gift from God that you can receive by grace through faith that he responds to us and says, you know, you're beyond help. All of sin comes short of the glory of God. We get into places sometimes to where it seems that we're beyond any place of helping ourselves and you know you can always call on him. Isn't that a great thing to know? Let me leave you with this. The psalmist said in Psalm 121, verse 1 and 2. You know, I, I use this scripture quite often. Probably if I were to look at this scripture, I use it most of the times uh, at gravesides. 
It's one of your great sides. So uh, this is not, uh, not the way I'm using it this morning, you understand. This is life here. It's not death. We usually would stand by the cemetery. A family that's hurting. A family that needs help. A family that's looking for answers. And you declare, just like God declares to us right where we are right now, right in our situation. And we say, Lord, I will lift up my eyes to you. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. And they're terminology and thinking they were the hills, the temple, which represented to them the, the Lord. God is their source. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From hence cometh my help. Or where shall my help come from? Here he says, my help comes from the Lord. And then it's interesting, the last little phrase after this, and don't, don't leave this off. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Guess, do you think there's anything too difficult for you if the one who made heaven and earth is your help? Absolutely not. God helps those who help themselves is not found in the Bible. Pride can be a dangerous thing when we depend upon our own goodness. We do have responsibility to walk out and do things that we have opportunity to do and to be faithful and to pray and to ask and believe. And when we help ourselves that way, God blesses our faithfulness. But bottom line is, is God helps us, you and me, who could never help ourselves. I will look unto him, for he is my help. Can you receive that this morning? Hallelujah. We're going to continue along this fun series with a couple of things next week. But right now, let's stand. I want to pray over you before we go home today. Hallelujah. If you've got special prayer needs, and look, if you thought that, uh, I need to mention this right quick. If maybe you've substituted trying to live a good life and do the right things or try to be better than someone else or attend church or whatever in order to, in order to have, a, in order to, for God to be pleased with you, to have a relationship with him. If that's, if that's kind of how you felt, I mean, I was like that way for many years as a young boy. I thought because I was so actively involved in church and do, didn't do some of the things other people did, I thought, hey, look, God, God, you know, God's, man, he's looking at me. He's seeing what all I've done. I'm in good shape. And realized that sometime after that I needed him. I needed mercy. I needed grace. In my goodness, I was still in need of cleansing and no matter when people get so far away to think, I've done too much. I've, there's too many things I've done that the Lord could never love me, like the, the, the publican, like the tax collector. I've done too much. How could God, I'm telling you, through the blood of Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, or what you've done. And you can't help yourself. Remember that. But he loves you, and he's here to help you today. First, I want to pray over those that, that those things might be going on in your, in your life. And then I just want to pray for direction and wisdom for us as we receive this word today. And if you have certain prayer requests or things you want to bring for the Lord, I'm, you can certainly come up and pray here while we're praying. But also, if you just want to bring, I just want you to signify before the Lord. It's not for anyone else to say, to just lift your hand, declare, Lord, I bring this to you right now. So I'm going to lift my hand. Father, this morning, I thank you for your grace, for your great mercy. Thank you, Lord. We were never big enough, good enough, never righteous enough to know you'd have a relationship with you. But you loved us enough to make a way. And Jesus, thank you for helping us when we could not help ourselves. 
for those of you who just really need to open your life, your heart to him. God, I thank you for your mercy and grace. I've tried to do it all on my own. I've tried to just be good enough, do the right things. And my motives may have even been good most of the time. But Lord, I realize that that's not enough. I need you. I need you in my life today. I receive, I invite, I surrender my life to Jesus Christ as my Savior, my Lord today. I choose to follow you today, Lord. No matter what your situation today, folks, I choose to give my life to you, Lord. I surrender my life to you. Change my heart, change my life. I want to live for you. And God, I thank you for what you've taught us this morning of our, there's, there's, there's ways to accept responsibility. There's ways to, to, to do things in, in, in faith and faithfulness. But Lord, that bottom line is, None of it's possible without you. You're our source of hope and you're our source of help. Help us to take responsibility in our lives to do the things that we can do, believing that your hand is upon it and expecting good things to happen. I thank you for each one in this building. I thank you for your blessing and your protection. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for leading them this coming week, that they'll seek you, that they'll follow you, that they'll walk in your blessings in Jesus' name. And everybody in the house, we say... Come on, give a good shout to the Lord. God bless you. Have a great day today.